Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Good Judgment Podcast. Hello, folks. Welcome back to the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. And today, we're going to try to get you some hot law. Hot law? Some, some law that's hot off the presses. Um, Wade and I have got an interesting case uh, that the Supreme Court just came out on, and it actually addresses some issues that we've addressed in previous podcasts. And so we wanted to be sure and bring it to you as quickly as possible. So it is, um, the, the decision was dated March 15th, and we are sitting here recording this on March 20th. I'm not sure when you're hearing it, but we are all over it. So yeah. we are your go-to man for hot off the press law. Hot law, man. And uh, the case that we're going to talk about today, as I said, is a Georgia Supreme Court case decided March 15th, 2022. It's called Cook versus the State, and it is Supreme Court number S21A1270. Justice Warren wrote the majority opinion, and I'm going to give you heads up, it's 120 pages long. Now, the majority opinion is only 87 pages long. Yeah, so I, I I would say just read the majority opinion, and I'm sorry to all you dissenting opinions out there, uh, they, we're, we're never going to read those. Right? We're just not. We just don't have time. You can tell you're retiring. <laughs> Look, I'm going to say this. Listen, I love you guys out there, you appellate court judges, because I still got some cases in the pipeline that you could overrule. But let me just say this to you. Could y'all please like give us an introductory paragraph or something that says what the law is in the case before you set out on that 80-page to 100-page opinion? Because there's a lot of lazy folks out there, and they're not going to read all of this. So if you could just write – and you kind of did, and I appreciate it. In the first couple of paragraphs, you told us what Cook says. But, uh, yeah, 120 pages, ah, we just don't get a chance to read those very often. So anyway, wait. For the record – I said none of that. Yeah, that was Tane Kell. That was the retiring judge. By the time y'all hear this, I'll be retired. It yeah. won't matter anyway. So You'll have long hair. <laughs> I will have one of those silver ponytails down the back of my, braided ponytails down Yuck. the back of my head. All right, so All folks. Right, so folks, we, we came up with this case called Collier. And I don't know if you remember, we've got an episode on it, but we talked about how Collier really changed some landscapes relative to defendants wanting to file an appeal of their guilty plea. That's right. And in doing that, if there was not a clear record that the defendant had been advised of his or her right to file an appeal of a guilty plea, it had to be remanded for a hearing to the trial court. And if that happened, you know, if that is in fact what happened, that the defense, that defense counsel did not advise the defendant of his or her rights, then you would have to go there and call your. Right, and allow them to, essentially, the case said you had to grant them an out-of-time ability to appeal their guilty plea. So this is the issue that the court, Supreme Court took up. Um, there, were, there was another case out there that, that was subsequent to Collier that kind of modified and clarified some things. But this case is the one where the court came back and said, okay, we, we understand Collier's caused a few problems. Let's tell you what we believe the correct statement of the law is. And so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something we don't normally do. I'm going to sort of spoil, <laughs> spoiler alert here if you want to listen to the whole podcast uh, or whatever. But, but right in the second paragraph of, I'm sorry, the first paragraph of Cook, the Supreme Court says what it does or what the, what the overall ruling it is. It says, we conclude 
that the trial court out-of-time appeal procedure is not a legally cognizable vehicle for a convicted defendant to seek relief for alleged constitutional violations. Now, wait, there's an appropriate sound that goes along with that, and I'm going to see if I can if I can make it uh, if I can make it here. It's reading law during a podcast is not awesome. Is that the sound you were thinking of? No, no, the sound I was thinking about comes from Scooby Doo. We don't we don't actually have oh, it in yeah, our in, in our bank of things, and it's <laughs> <laughs> so we had just figured out. I think what to do with Collier. Right. And then here comes Cook. And to be honest with you, um, they go all the way back to a case from 1974 called Neal, in which the Supreme Court had said the defendant cannot seek an out of time appeal by going to the trial court. In fact, the only way to do it was to go to a habeas, to do that through a habeas action. That's right. Some of our brothers who have multiple prisons in their jurisdiction, yikes. Very familiar, yeah, with the volume of habeas that that, that might be speaking to. So, yeah, yeah. So, in the Supreme Court, in all fairness, they said, look, we, and, you know, they're always, Justice Warren went on the bench in 19-whatever-it-was, 74. But it, it, to be fair, she said, we made a mistake. We institutionally made a mistake that— we started going down this whole other path, never accounting for Neil, never accounting for the real clear holding in Neil that the only way to go for an out-of-time appeal is to go through habeas. Yeah, so so the Supreme Court said something here uh, that that I, I think you know again meant, is worth repeating. In Cook, the Supreme Court says in Collier. And in a case that soon followed, Shockett, which is spelled S-C-H-O-I-C-K-E-T versus the state, this court determined that our precedent endorsing the trial court out-of-time appeal procedure as an alternative to habeas corpus, listen to this, had no valid legal foundation. And there's actually a really interesting discussion throughout this case of the fact that the original cases allowing for this alternative to habeas corpus, this this judicially created appeal procedure, um, really was out found, without foundation, constitutionally or within the law. And talking about how the initial case and cases about that really didn't cite any precedent on which that procedure was based. And I think, that to be fair, there is a recognition that because of the workload of the judges who have to hear all these habeas cases, cases in counties that have state prisons, you might, I don't know, you might have a quicker result by going back to the trial court. But they said that doesn't matter, that there's no law that authorizes that. And they they criticize themselves a little bit, frankly, for creating from whole cloth this judicially uh, created vehicle, something like that. Well, yeah, there's another great quote in here that I highlighted, and it says this. Everyone involved in this case, meaning Cook, agrees that the reasoning supporting our precedent allowing motions for out-of-time appeal in trial courts, to the extent there has been any reasoning at all, is wholly unsound. Oh, snap. I mean, that's criticizing (laughs) themselves. That's That's no collective, you know, talking about the 70s. Yeah. 
Because yeah. Collier, I, I mean, not everybody who's currently on the court was there for Collier and Shockett, but most of them were. Well, I, and but I think they're talking about even going any further back than Collier, where you know this procedure kind of became the norm. Because there's a lengthy discussion about the value of stare decisis. And it's really worth reading from that perspective. And even if you go to to uh, Justice's Peters, Justice Peterson's um, dissent uh, at the end, dissenting from in part from this case, um, he talks about the value of stare decisis and what it means and why we as judges, why it's important for us as trial judges to re- be able to rely on what the court has said. Because, I mean, in this case, they are, in fact, overruling about, 40 plus years of previous case law. So um, so my mom listens to this podcast. Hey, mom. And so how about running through story decisis, just sure. in general for somebody who might not be a lawyer or a judge? Uh, absolutely. So so the concept of story decisis essentially means being able to rely upon prior precedent of the courts. What, what did we say in previous cases and how does that affect the law? And, and, and story decisis essentially is important because um, – we as judges read cases built upon other cases built upon other cases, and we make our determinations, or at least we're supposed to, based upon what the the appellate courts have previously said on a particular issue of law. And so the concept of stare decisis is you can rely on what we've previously said, and you should rely on it to make a determination of what the law is. And so when a precedent is overruled, particularly one that goes back 30 or 40 years and has a number of cases citing that precedent, it's a big deal. And that, and that's essentially what a lot of this um, goes through in terms of, of uh, uh, you know, legal gymnastics to say, look, we don't do this without giving some serious thought to the fact that we're undoing 30 or 40 years worth of, uh, of legal precedent. And so one of the things that, that they talked about was that stare decisis has components to it. Like how, how, how old is our, is our old cases and, and how consistent have we been and how much, what sort of earthquake is this going to qu- cause in the legal profession? Right. But, but the quote that I read you a minute ago, um, it's kind of the reason that the court uses for saying, look, one of the main things we ought to be, this is the majority opinion in this case, is look, one of the things we ought to be looking at in these cases is what was the sound reasoning that the court came to or used to make the determination upon which all of this precedent is based. And they came to the conclusion in this case that there's really nothing uh, in the original cases talking about this alternate to habeas corpus that's based in the law. In other words, the court just seems to say, here's what the trial court should do in these cases, uh, given out of time appeal when this occurs, and there's not a whole lot more discussion in those original cases. And so they go on to say, we disapprove of Roland, which was one of those cases, and King and Ferguson and some other cases that cited uh, this as the proper procedure. And so they go through and specifically uh, disapprove of and overrule those cases. So folks, we're not going to have an outline for this particular episode. So at the end of the day, you're going to probably want to go pull the Cook decision if you've got any of these cases sitting in front of you. This won't be on goodjudgepod.com. That's right, except what we might do for you if you'd like for us to is, Wade, we could put for them the highlighted copy that you and I have that has some of those really important paragraphs highlighted so that 
if perhaps you don't have time to read 120 pages of opinions, dissents, and, and uh, concurrences, um, you could just kind of skim the highlights on there. So, And I, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Linda Dunikowski in the uh, uh, Cobb District Attorney's Office who sent out not just to us at Good Judge Pod, but to a number of other people in Cobb County, uh, this highlighted version of the case when it first came out so that, uh, so that we would have something to look at and, uh, and read. So... Folks, we'll be right back after this pause for station identification. Folks, this is Wade and Tane. You're listening to the Good Judgment Podcast on the World Wide Web or wherever else you listen to these things. As always, you can find outlines for these podcast episodes as well as any supplemental materials on our website, which is goodjudgepod.com. We'd love to have your feedback about the podcast, and we get that at our email, goodjudgepod at gmail.com. We're always looking for suggested podcast topics. Please feel free to submit your suggestions to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Operators are standing by. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to like us and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And tell your friends it's how we get to grow our listenership. Thanks. And now back to our studio audience. So, Tane, let's talk about the pipeline piece before we wrap this up. Let's yeah, talk absolutely. about, so does this apply prospectively, retrospectively? Just, so, call your, just call your law. What is? What are we doing? Yeah, so, so another interesting aspect of the Cook case is that the court says, look, there really wasn't a, a, a basis upon which this procedure was created, and therefore we disapprove of the entire process of granting a, an out-of-time appeal in lieu of the habeas corpus process. And so the court said, if you have any cases, or if we, the Supreme Court, have any cases that are currently in the pipeline asking for this procedure, asking for an out-of-time appeal, they should be denied out of hand. In other words, just dismissed, because this is no longer a process that is approved by the Supreme Court and by the law of the state of Georgia. So I'll admit... Uh, I had one of those cases sitting on my desk. You probably had one or two yourself, and every other judge out there may have some of those cases in their pipeline. And the Supreme Court gives very specific guidance that says those cases should be dismissed and, and sent away because they have to follow, and this is the other holding of the court, they have to follow as their only remedy the habeas corpus process. And that's kind of important, Wade, because you and I talked about when Collier came out, one of the issues that trial judges kind of started pulling their hair about out was, um, what if this case is 20 years old? Um, there's no real time limitation like there is in habeas, where you have to file the habeas within four years of the final uh, conclusion of, of, course of you, that case. You told that defendant that during the... Um colloquy surrounding the the plea agreement because that's requirement of the law. That's exactly right. And and, and you know it, it was it was important because as soon as Collier came out, I thought, well, then there's going to be a new a potential new trial, I'm sorry, an out, potential out of time appeal for just about every defendant who asks for one because that wasn't a thing. We weren't telling defendants, hey, you can enter this p this plea and then automatically immediately file an appeal of this plea. Um, because it, there was nothing to appeal. I mean, the, the, the thought process was that was a part of the deal. When you plead guilty, you're admitting you're in fact guilty and you're accepting a punishment within the 
guideline set forth in the statute, end of story. That's right. That's right. And Collier had said, to be fair, Collier had said the the validity of your appeal, the, the likelihood of winning is really not a part of the analysis. It's just that you have that right. And if somebody didn't tell you that, well, you get to go back to the trial court. Now, in my humble opinion, Cook undoes all of that. Do you right. agree? Yes, I do. To accept one point of clarification. If you look at a very important footnote in this case, and it's footnote four on page 14, footnote four on page 14 said, there is no dispute that an out-of-time appeal may still be sought as a remedy in a habeas corpus proceeding. In other words, you can still potentially get an out-of-time appeal, but you have to pursue it through the vehicle of habeas corpus. You have a time limit to ask for it. You have a lot of constraints that are all contained in the law surrounding habeas corpus. It's not that the remedy goes away completely. It's that it's not a separate independent remedy that can be sought outside of habeas. I think it bears repeating because Shockett had sort of addressed this because there were some implications in Collier that because we were going to allow you to request a late appeal, that somehow gave you the right to file a late motion to withdraw your plea. And Shockett was real clear in saying, no, 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 those two things are independent of one another. So just don't hear us to say if you've got any post-trial relief pending in front of you, you can dismiss it. That's not what this case says. That's right. It is requests for out-of-time appeals. That's right. If you've got a timely motion to withdraw plea and, you know, got lost in the shuffle or whatever. I had one of those the other day from the new circuit being created and we found one. Yeah. Um, you need to hear that. Yeah. Call your and shock it. Don't, don't that, that's still a, a thing. If it's a timely motion. That's a very good point, Wade. Shocking, huh? Shocking. So Tane, how does this, how does this majority opinion end? What's the summary of it? Yeah. So, so they kind of wrap it up in, in pretty succinct fashion. They said, uh, telling us as trial court judges what to do, pending in future motions for uh, out-of-time appeals in trial courts should be dismissed, and trial court orders that have decided such motions on the merits, like the one in this case, Cook case, should be vacated if direct review of the case remains pending or if the case is otherwise not final. So, I mean, that's a pretty significant conclusion of the court and something that you will not see very often um, in your lifetime where they say, Take this action, dismiss all these cases now, and uh, and and in the future uh, they should all be dismissed. So remember now, Tane was the one that talked bad about you earlier. <laughs> I appreciate that level of directness because it gives me a Absolutely. clear barometer as to 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 what I'm supposed to do now. I appreciate it too, and it occurs on page 81 of the 87 page opinion. So if you need to go there, go to page 81 and it tells you what to do. Um, God bless them. Hey, I'm just glad that they did that. I'm, I am. It, it, it was, I, I felt a collective sigh of relief being heaved by the bench uh, at the trial court level because we really didn't know what to do with these things. I mean, it was, it was really difficult. So um, that's the takeaway. Uh, it's, it's a case that's really worth looking at. As I said, we'll post our uh, our highlighted uh, version of it online. I hope this has been helpful to you. There may be some other things that you guys want to discuss with us. If so, be sure and send us an email at uh, goodjudgepod at gmail.com. 
And you can find all these episode notes over on the website, which is goodjudgepod.com. With that being said, we're going to wrap up a short one today. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. And uh, take a look at Cook. Wow. Well, folks, that's all we have for another exciting and enthralling topic here on the Good Judgment Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. This project was the brainchild of Mr. Doug Ashworth, the executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to the entire University of Georgia College of Law for assisting in our recording. Thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped edit out some of our stupidity and awkwardness. But nobody can get it all. Tane and I are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court Judges across Georgia. Thanks to our NJO graduates who've been willing to help with this podcast series. You know that these are our opinions, and they do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, CSCJ, the University of Georgia College of Law, or anybody else for that matter. You can contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for any praise, but please contact someone else with any complaints. But seriously, we would love to have your feedback, both good and bad. Send any comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. You've been doing a great job doing that. We really appreciate the help. You can also visit our website at goodjudgepod.com for outlines and more details about our podcasts. Once again, I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Good Judge Men Podcast.